Okay. I am excited to get to speak today. I'm honored. I truly am always honored when I get to, to address you all. I know I've said this before, but when we first started visiting, <clears throat> the Lord told me you were his, his faithful ones, and I see it. I see it week after week, and I'm, I see it as a privilege to get to stand before ones that he has spoken so highly of to me. Um, when Pastor Henry asked me probably about a month ago to speak, he at first said, you know, pray about it. If you've got a topic, let me know, and otherwise I'll give you a topic, which I didn't think I wanted, <laughs> I think I wanted to pick, but I prayed and prayed, and I couldn't come up with anything, and so I just felt t to open it to him and to say, you know, I don't know. Well, can we pray together? And we did, and I got the image in my mind of a book that I used to read growing up. That was my grandfather's. The, and the book is, this is a different copy of it, but it's called The Surrendered Life. And I just pictured that book and thought, I think I'm supposed to speak on The Surrendered Life. And um, this is not, like I said, the copy that my grandfather used to own. I think this was written in about the 20s, 19, which I told Sam this morning. I guess it's 2020s. It's, I have to say 1920s now. It's, that's just crazy. Time's flying. But it was written in about the 1920s. And so I love the thought of reading a book and gleaning from it that my grandfather read and gleaned from for his own life. Um, I want to take a second to tell a couple stories about him just because I, I want to honor him, and, and I'm thankful for the godly heritage I do have. He was a pastor, and he um, his first congregation was in Pennsylvania, a small church, and I guess as they welcomed them as, you know, my grandfather and grandmother, their... Um, their, their congregation did something called pounding the pastor, which I had never heard of, but it's like an older thing that when you, when you first come, you, they've got like these buckets and barrels or whatever at the front, and you put a pound of flour and a pound of sugar and a pound, you know, you just, you bless them by filling their pantry. My grandmother was, I, want, I think she was from New York City and very, she was used to buying her chicken and not butchering it. And some of these people would come and they, and they would give her livestock. You know, they would give her the chickens and, and, you know, whatnot. And she, it was such an adjustment for her to go from, like, the life she was leading to, to this life. And um, not just the, the pounding the pastor, but some of their tithe would sometimes be. If they couldn't afford to pay them, they would give them produce from their garden. And so they would can it. And all the things that is so common up here was foreign to her. And she struggled. She really struggled with that. And my grandfather would tell her, if you can have faith till noon, we'll start there. Let's start by having faith till noon, and then we'll, we'll see if God can take care of the rest of the day. I always liked that line, faith till noon. I've, I, I want to write a song about it one day just to kind of mention my grandparents. Like, I don't know, just that's what we start. We start with what we have. We start with the beginning and ask God to carry us the rest of the way. During that same time, because they didn't have a lot of money, my dad tells a story of when they'd have to choose between tithe and the milk money, the milk money to, to feed my, my, my dad and his brother. And um, she was wrestling with it and came to my, my grandfather, my, my grandmother was, and what do we do? Do we feed our kids? Or do we tithe? And without a doubt, he, without a hesitation, he said, we, we tithe first. We always tithe first. And God provided. He did. He provided over and over again for my grandparents He's provided over and over again for my parents, who are pastors, who I can remember Sundays where they didn't have the money to feed us. And that Sunday, this guy came up over and over again. I forget what it's called, a Pentecostal handshake or something. 20s in his hand, kept coming back. And it was what, it was what we needed that day to, to provide. 
um, my grandfather's favorite verse and the, and the verse on his tombstone is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I think that's a fitting verse, especially as we're getting ready to talk about surrender. I can tell I'm like very serious, <laughs> which is fine to be serious. I feel like I'm going to either laugh or cry. <laughs> I'll probably do both. But um, so I feel like I can't talk about surrender without talking about what it means to be a Christian at its very core, which is to be a Christ follower. Um, I want to turn to Luke 9:23. I'm going to quote a lot of scripture. I'm probably going to read most of them, but we're going to we are going to turn to a couple. All right, Luke 9, 23. And he, said to, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I'm going to read off a couple scriptures. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 9, 9, Jesus is passing by and he sees Matthew at the tax collector booth and he says, follow me. To the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, he says, if you were to be perfect, go and sell your possession and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Matthew 10, 38, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Matthew 8:22 Jesus said to him follow me and let the dead bury their own. John 1 he's talking to Philip and he says follow me. Mark 2 he's talking to Levi and he says follow me. And in Matthew 4 immediately they left their nets and followed him. Really like when we talk about following it's kind of talking about lordship. We we know that Jesus is our lord and savior and I know there was a debate years ago can Jesus be our savior? but not our Lord. Can he be, can we accept salvation? Can we accept being saved from sin and saved from hell, but not accept him as our Lord and live day to day like he is the one calling the shots? And, and we know that that's not true. He is our Lord and he is our savior. So when Jesus said, follow me, he's not just saying, I want to forgive you of those sins and then go live your life. He said, follow me, come after me, let me be the Lord. When was the last time we heard a sermon or attended a conference or, or read a book about following? It's not a very popular topic. I feel like, in fact, I Googled just real quick title, sermon t- or book titles on leadership, and there's hundreds, there's hundreds of books on leadership. Ones like Dare to Lead, You Don't Need to Have a Title to Be a Leader, Authentic Leadership, and Learning to Lead Like Jesus. And I bet they're all good books, and I'm like a sucker for a good motivational book, and I'm like, I might even buy some of them. But I wondered if we could change the titles to fit our first command as Christians, and instead of the loudest message to the world being dare to lead, what if we first taught them dare to follow? And instead of learning to lead like Jesus, what if we first taught people how to follow like Jesus? Jesus himself said in John 5:30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. John 12:49 says, I do not speak on my own authority. The Father who has sent me has commanded me 
what to say and how to say it. And one of my favorite is the centurion in Matthew 8. He recognized Jesus. He recognized in Jesus the same reality that he too was walking in, being both under authority and given authority over others. The voluntary, I'm sorry, the surrendered life is a voluntary offering. I am his. The word consecrated means to fill the hand. Just as the Jewish worshiper filled his hand with the best, richest, and choicest of all he owned and brought it as an offering to the Lord, so is the redeemed child of God an offering himself to God as the highest expression of grateful worship. I'm going to read a, a little quote from in here, and then we're going to turn to Romans 12. This, again, this is an older book, so some of the, the way stuff is written is a little bit older. <laughs> um, but how can the Spirit lead, purify, transform, fill, and use a life unless it is yielded to him? What can the potter do with an unyielded clay? How can God fashion the unyielded life? If every idol he shatters is secretly mourned, if every chastening stroke is bitterly denounced, if every higher purpose is resisted by a hostile will, how can he mold, how can he mold and transform and bless? I, I think, you know, we, we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether voluntarily or involuntarily on that day. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And I, again, I don't think every knee will bow because it wants to at that moment. I think there will still be people in their hearts who don't want him to be Lord, but he is Lord. And on that day, there will be no choice. But we have such an opportunity right now in our life to voluntarily say, you are my Lord. To, like he said in this book, I just, it's, it's, just, it's just so interesting to, to say like, oh, I want to yield to you. And then I can relate to where he goes, every idol shattered is secretly mourned. Like, oh, I don't want that to be true. I want to be his and to voluntarily give that. It is an act of worship. Our lives right now, this life that we have been given, is an act of worship. It is that opening of our hand to not just give him the best of what he's given us, but to actually just give him ourselves. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I know that even everything I'm saying is nothing new. I don't think that I've been given this grand new message, but, it, but even in preparing for it, it's the reminder again to sign up. I, I used this quote last time I spoke, but I, I really like it. And I, and I tell myself it almost every Sunday. It's a David Pawson quote, and he says, Sundays are for climbing trees. You know, we, we climb a tree. We set our sights. We're going towards the, the, the mountain of the Lord. Oh, there it is. So you get back down, and you do your daily. You, you, you try to love well. You try to give. You try to serve. You try to, be, to bless and to do all those things. And sometimes we have a really good week, and sometimes we don't. And then you climb back up in that tree, and you're like, oh, I'm off. Okay, 
there we go, you know, and it's this realigning that happens that, that I think, and so I, I really, again, like, I don't think this sermon is anything groundbreaking, but it's that realigning that I'm asking for, even in my own heart. I mean, I think half the gift of getting a chance to speak is working in you that muscle and that prayer that you're going to then deliver to others to have it be real in you, and that's what this sermon has done to me. I, I feel like I, even as I've walked around the house the last couple of days, my heart has been overflowing, even with Romans 12, to, to give myself as a living sacrifice in my house with my kids who sometimes listen and sometimes don't. Sometimes it's a really powerful moment of teaching a lesson and sometimes it's absolutely not. It's just normal day in, day out. There is no music. There is nothing. You are like, am I going to keep telling you to stop climbing on the chairs over and over again? You know, like there's like this very realness to our lives. But even in those moments, we have that moment to, to open our hearts up to the Lord and to be a living sacrifice, to say, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? Is this a moment of strong correction with my child, or is this a moment of tender mercy that you want me to show them something that's different than they've never seen before, or whatever? Um, I can think of many in this... Oh, actually, I wanted to read another quote from here. It's about the voluntary offering of ourselves unto God. Not to a calling, a field, an occupation, or a principle, but to God. We do well to note this, for with many the thought of the yielded life is always linked with the mission field, the gospel ministry, or some other special form of service. Immediately that, immediately that the claim of Christ upon the life is pressed home, there comes upon the test, can I preach the gospel or can I go to China or India or Africa? Now, God does not call us to surrender to a field or a calling, but to yield ourselves in blank to him. The real issue is not will I go to Africa, but do I trust God enough to place my life in his hands without regard to the particular place or form of service in which he may desire it? It's not about, it's not even about what our culture, Christian or not, says being surrendered looks like. It's not about what they say a Christian life looks like. It's about what God says he's calling us to. I can think of many in this congregation that are living and serving in the mission fields that God has called them to. It's not Africa, and it's not in full-time ministry. It's Amber at M&M. It was Nancy when she would go to Walmart and minister to the moms. It's Pastor Henry when he's in Anchorage going to Walmart there. You guys have a thing for Walmart. <laughs> It's Arnold sharing at the doctor's office. It's pause sharing on flight. I'm sorry, I said pause, but I meant to say Bev. Sharing on flights and many other situations that I've heard of these stories that are God's stories where in that moment, I feel like he says, can I use you? And I see so many of you say yes, whether it's through word or through prayer or through living a life of worship. I see such a yes in you all, and it's, and it's beautiful, and it's provoking. It's exactly what we're called to do, to live a surrendered life. I said this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it again, and I'm going to read Philippians 2. Whether voluntarily now or involuntarily then, this is our only life and the only chance we have to live for Christ. This is truly all we have. It's so easy to want to be your own Lord. I mean, I just think it's so easy to want to call the shots. It's just natural. It's in our nature. But it takes a voluntary decision to bow the knee and to, and to take up our cross and to say, you are the Lord. You get to call the shots. If you want me to be uncomfortable, you know, praying for someone. It took, it took me a while. There was a greeter at Walmart. Which I, think, I think God does like Walmart. <laughs> there was a greeter at Walmart. I can't remember his name now. This was before COVID when it just, I felt like we were in the stores more. 
And he always had a very nice smile. He was always nice to my kids. And he was always at this one spot for checkout. And it probably took me three weeks of hearing the Holy Spirit say, tell him I love him. Tell him I love him. And I'm like, I'm a girl. I don't want to do that. I've come up with these perfect excuses. And he told me. I heard his voice. He told me to tell him that he loved him. And finally, I did. And it was, again, sometimes those moments, you, you, there's tears. There's a, and sometimes it's just a, oh, thank you, you know? But it was a seed, and it was a seed sown in obedience. And that's all we can do. All we can do is, to, is sow those seeds in obedience. Time will tell. We'll get to heaven, and we'll see whether there's fruit in their life or fruit in our life just by obeying. Philippians 2, I'm just going to read it, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I just, I'm so thankful we have the Bible, that we have the Holy Spirit, that we have the church body, that we have all this that tells us you can do this now, that we don't have to wait till we get to heaven and find out the opportunities missed that could be ours. The surrendered life is not easy. It is countercultural. It goes against our need for control, our need to be well-liked, and our desire for an easy life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read math, part of Matthew 8, starting in verse 18. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave orders to the crowd. Um, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the sea. And one of the scribes came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And I quoted this one before, but I'm going to do it again. Another of his disciples requested, Lord, let us first go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own. That's not an easy sermon to preach. It is offensive. And even like getting up here, I, there is, I have eight pages of notes, and that's honestly about half of what I could. I have even more that's in my heart. Sam had ideas. Like it could have just kept going. Um, and, and some parts of it really are offensive to say like, tell the dead to go bury their own. I know it's your dad. I'm telling you to follow me. And to the others, he says, you can come with me, but you need to know, like, I don't have a place to sleep tonight. You, are you okay with that? Like, our need for control and, like, predictability, he's like, I'm going to question that. Like, I'm going to bring you out of that comfort zone to where you're reliant on me. You know, he knows to each of us what it is that's going to cause that lean on him, whether it is that he says, hey, he mean to, you know, because he gave different commands. To one, he said, follow me, but know that birds have dens and... Foxes, or foxes have dens, birds have a nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So if you're signing up, that's what we're signing up for. And to the others, he says, don't even bother. Like, don't do that. So anyways, it's, it's not an easy message to preach. At least that's what I felt in preparing. It was a good squirm. It was like, ah, am I really living the kingdom? Do I really believe? Like, do I want to get up there and, like, say, like, don't even worry about, like, I wouldn't say that because that's hard for me. But he said it, and I'm not going to say sorry for what he said. I'm just going to leave it and let us wrestle with it, you know? Um, Jesus says you are hated. You're in, okay, so did I say that right? Oh, yeah, Jesus says, are you hated? You are in good company. They hated me first. Do you feel despised or rejected? You're in good company. <clears throat> they despised and rejected him first. I think of this verse, too. I, I didn't write the reference down, but basically, am I trying to win the approval of humans or of God if I'm trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
Luke 6, 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's not enough to go through the motions. We have to obey his words and his voice. 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. <clears throat> if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but of the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. The surrendered life is a humble life. It's admitting that our righteousness is filthy rags and that we have no good apart from him. It's acknowledging that we could never do it on our own. He said no man would boast in his presence, that he's going to get all of the glory. He already designed it this way. And it is humbling to admit that you are not the Lord. It's humbling to admit that even on your best day, you don't actually have what it takes to save yourself. I think even like a while ago when Caden spoke, and I forget now what he said, but it, con it convicted me it, kind of on the lordship part of it. And I felt like I was supposed to kneel. And I, I mean, I did it. So I know you guys may remember it or not, but I was over at the piano and I did not want to kneel. Like I don't, that's humbling. Like that is humbling. And, and it's funny growing up, my dad did that all the time. My mom did it all the time. But like for me, it was like, I am dignified and I don't feel like kneeling, which was pride a hundred percent. And I knew it, you know, and that's like, you got to kneel even more. Not really, but like, I absolutely knew that I needed to kneel. And as humbling as it is, I would obviously rather kneel and humble myself here and now in front of you all than get to heaven and have him say that I, that I didn't love him in that moment. You know, that I, that I was going through the motions, but my heart did not say you're the Lord, you know that I was unwilling and unyielding in a moment where he asked for obedience from me. Um, so it is humbling. Uh, one, one verse, okay, I'm going to hit this too. The disciples thought the kingdom of heaven was coming now, and they were prepared for a battle in the natural. They were prepared for the kingdom of heaven. Then they were, um, they were built, sorry, they were prepared for a battle in the natural, but Jesus was preparing them for a kingdom to come and teaching them to fight not against, like, the Romans, but to fight against principalities and authorities in the spirit. He, he's continually trying, you know, I feel like we're like going in this direction and he's like, actually my kingdom is this. And it's like, that's hard. That takes humbling. That takes admitting that we're wrong. That takes a recentering. But obviously it is, it, it is worship and it is, it is right. It is, it's, it's, it's acknowledging that we're not the Lord, that we don't actually know, but he knows. So if you say, okay, if you say go, then I guess this is the way to go. I think of the, you know, the verse that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And anyone who's a parent, I would imagine even of older kids, but like especially younger kids, you know, the because I say so just doesn't always work when you're like, hey, I need you to do this. And we still do it. We still say because I say so all the time. But it's like they, from their tiny little understanding, they're like, I don't get it. And from our understanding, we're like, I do. <laughs> I get something that you don't get. And whether it's you ask for the blind faith of them to just obey or you explain it to them and still ask them to obey, there is that wrestle, that tug of war of who's going to be in control. And as the parent, it's our job to teach them by submitting to us when they don't get it, to learn how to submit to God when they don't get it. I was thinking of a story about Caleb we were getting ready to do a tea, uh, not a tea party, a garage sale a while ago. 
And he, we were like, you're going to do a lemonade stand and it's going to be awesome and you're going to love it. And he was like, I'm stoked. I'm going to make all this money. I just, I can't wait. And so we're getting all the tea party stuff. Or I keep saying it wrong. The lemonade stand tea stuff together. And he is just like, he's so stoked. And finally he's like, we're going to set it up over there, right? Mom, like at our house. And I hadn't explained to him, oh, we're not doing it here. We're doing it at your aunt's house. And he is crushed. He is mad and he is sad and he's all the emotions that Caleb feels so strongly. And he's like, why? Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, this isn't fair. This isn't right. And I'm kind of busy doing so many things. I'm just like, it's just what we're doing, bud. Like, that we've already decided it. It's in town, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized Caleb's a money man. Like, he wants to make money. I'm like, Caleb, if we do, if we do a lemonade stand here, not many people will come. You won't make a lot of money. If we do a lemonade stand in town, you will make a lot more money. And he just, in his Caleb way, is like, oh, thanks, Mom. <laughs> okay, now I get it. Okay, now I'll submit to you. Like, sure, that, that makes a lot more sense. And he did, and he got, his, he got a toy, and, you know, it was perfect. It, it worked for him. Um, but there's something to be said about, like, submitting and surrendering when we don't see, when we don't know. I knew that it was better for him. You know, he didn't understand it till I explained it. And sometimes God does explain it on this side, and sometimes he doesn't. But it, our heart is still needs to be resolved that his way is better. It's higher than ours. It's different than ours, but it is better than ours. I think of another story, too, Corey Ten Boom, who um, her and her sister Betsy were, um, they helped hide um, Jews in their house during, the Holocaust, and then when, when they were discovered, they got put into the concentration camp with, with them. And her and her sister were very close, loved God very, very well, and Betsy was like, we must thank God for all things. We must thank God for, for all things. And I like Corey because she was more real. <laughs> she was like, I cannot thank him for this right now. Like, this is super hard. And, and Betsy said, we, we need to thank God even for I think it was fleas, but it might have been some other small bug that was, had overrun their, their room, their barracks, or whatever it was. It was so bad that the soldiers wouldn't come in. They just left them alone. And I do think that eventually Corey was like, thank you, God, for the fleas. Like, she knew Betsy was right, even if she didn't see it. And come to find out later, because it was so bad, and because the soldiers left them alone, they could do Bible studies in their in their room, and nobody would stop them. And so they did. And it's like, wow, I would never, I mean, it's like thanking God for the mosquitoes. You just don't do it. No, just kidding. You just, you just feel like it takes God to see any, any blessing, you know. Um, but it's there. And I can, can I share what you said? It was funny because like maybe a couple weeks ago, Aunt Tina woke up in the middle of the night because of mosquito. And because she woke up, she felt immediately led to pray for someone. And she thanked God for the mosquito because it woke her up to pray. And you know what? If that's God's way, sometimes we have to go, okay, thank you for the mosquito. Thank you for the fleas. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are higher than mine. Um, I'm going to talk about this rope for a second. So it's obviously, like, very long. Um, I saw a really cool video, and I don't know if I'm going to give it just do justice to it, but this rope is the timeline of our existence. But pretend it goes on forever, okay? It goes all around the whole world three times plus. So it's super, super long, okay? The entire line of our, our existence. This is the few short years that we have on this world. This is it. And sometimes we're so focused, like, oh, if I don't get married, my life's over. And I'm going to work super hard so I can get to here 
so I can retire and have fun from here to here. You know, like, it's like, this is a big deal. This is all that's, that's, this is all that matters. But this determines this. And like, I'm just going to put this down for a second. What we do during this white part, it determines all this. On, on our hurt, or our, our prestige, or our comfort, or whatever it is. We're so focused on having a good time from here to here, you know, or whatever it is. And God's like, I want you to have a good time for here, you know. This is our chance. Like, I, I feel it. Like, this is our chance to, to live a heart of worship, a life surrendered. One that says, yes, I don't even get it. I don't know why you're doing it. I don't know what you're doing. But like wholeheartedly, my heart says yes. I can tell sometimes when I'm just struggling with the Lord, I just feel a no. Like I just feel this closed arm cross. And sometimes my very act of worship is literally just to say yes. I do, there's nothing else in my prayer sometimes, but yes. And it's almost like I can feel my heart open and offering myself to him. I don't see it. I don't know it. I don't get it. But you do and you're good, and you love me, and this is for my good, and this is my chance to say you're a good leader. You're a good, you're a good Lord. You're a good shepherd, and, and this is like, this moves him. Like, this moves him so much, and I'm like, wow, this is nothing, you know, and I just, I want to be reminded over and over again to, to get, lift our eyes, to look where we're going, to be like the runner that is, sets their, their sights on the finish line. They're not looking to the left or the right. I mean, it gets so easy to get ensnared in the things of this world. Like it's so easy to get tripped up and compare and to do all those things. But I'm, and we're going to quote, we're going to read Hebrews 11 into some of Hebrews 12 in a little bit. We want to run that race, man. We really do. We want to like look towards the prize, that upward call of when we get to see God and be with him forever. It makes it easier because it's costly. Surrender is costly. When you know where you're going, it makes it easier. Caleb could accept the garage sale lemonade stand in town when he knew what he was getting was better than what he gave up, you know? Sometimes we, we see what we're giving up, and it's like, this is big. And then he shows us, and he's like, whoa, that's actually not that big, you know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, before we get to Hebrews, though, I'm going to turn to 2 Corinthians 4.17. Second Corinthians 4.17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, let's see here, are temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. My, my last like main point is that a surrendered life is a victorious life, a victorious life. I, I love, and I started with that verse of I am his, and it's like, it is both I am his and he is mine. Not only is a surrendered life one where we lay down, we count the cost, we lay down, we bow our knee and we call him Lord, but it's where we take on him. It's where we take up him 
and where we go, you are mine. Your power and your authority is now mine. I think too of like a police officer, if he's like standing and doing traffic and he tells you to stop with his hand, you don't stop because his hand is strong. You stop because of who he, what he represents. He represents authority that someone else gave him. He represents with that badge and, you know, whatever else he's carrying that you, if you don't listen to him, you're going to have a lot bigger problem than just him. He represents a man with authority, under authority, you know? And we are the same way. We've been given authority, authority from God. Now my righteousness, which was once filthy rags that I gave him, now I'm, I'm dressed in his righteousness. That gives me power. That gives me authority. That, that gives me a, a whole different way of living. I think of John 15. I think of abiding. The, the surrendered life, it's, it's one where we do abide. Again, you don't look at a branch and go, man, that branch is doing good. That is a great branch. You're like, you look at the tree, you look at the vine, and you go, that's a healthy tree. You, you, do, you don't give all the credit just to that branch. You really acknowledge that branch has nothing. If you break that branch off, it's dead. It's got nothing. But when that branch is on, it's thriving. And, and it, it's allowed to be fully confident and alive, knowing that it's not its own strength. It's not, it's, it's not walking in its own authority. But it is walking in authority. I do think sometimes like a surrendered life can look, I think people can perceive it as you don't do anything. You don't, you just sit there and you're just like, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. And that's not true. Like we do, we do wait on his voice, but a surrendered life is, is genuinely one that's filled with the Holy Spirit and, and is walking in peace like Jesus did when he was in the storm and he's sleeping and he's, and it's walking in power to trample serpents, power that's going to be things that, you know, the Bible says greater works than he did that we will, that we'll have the ability to do power to resist sin. I mean, that's like one of my favorite ones is like Galatians 5, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Like real power, power that I cannot fake, cannot fake. I cannot pull myself by my bootstraps enough to choose to resist something sometimes. I actually need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in me to help resist the sin. I, I, have a, I had a, a dream that I kind of want to share with you guys. This was years ago. Um, and I think I, so when I was a teenager, I can't remember all the details, but when I was a teenager, I had these dreams three nights in a row. It was pretty impacting. And, and the, the summary was it, of it was that God had appeared to me and his, his name was humble. And he was like asking, basically we were going to get married. And it was like a very weird dream if you try to explain it in the natural, but I really knew that it was an invitation from God that I was going to marry humility in my life, just that I was going to embrace it. Like, I embrace your humility. And my, my takeaway was like, yes, I will not tell you no. In the dream, I had told him no, and it turned into this whole big thing. And so my takeaway from those dreams were, I will not tell you no. Like, I will say yes to you. I will say yes to you. So skip ahead. I think I'm probably 22 or so at the time. And I'm, I'm supposed to be in a wedding, and basically I got a dress that was too small, and I couldn't fit it, and so I was like, that's okay, I'm going to work my butt off, and I'm just going to make this dress work, and I worked out so hard that my brain was like, got addicted. I got addicted to working out. I, I just felt it. It was just like, it was this 
I can't even fully explain it other than it was like, okay, next time you're going to do more miles. Okay, next time you're going to do it faster. Okay, next time you're going to do this. And I could just tell I wasn't really listening to the Holy Spirit. I wasn't interested. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to go talk to you and love you, but I don't really want your input here because this has like, become really important to me. And my sister, who had had a pretty severe eating disorder, started to recognize I wasn't in a good spot mentally. Like I was, I was very, very fixated. And she felt, she said, I feel like you're supposed to stop working out for a while. I feel like you're supposed to lay it down for a while. And I was like, ah, <laughs> I don't want to, you know. And I, I, I never told the Lord no before. You know, like I, that was like between me and him, it was like, I, I say yes. I say yes, you know. And I, for the first time, I was like, I don't know how to say yes to you in this. This is super hard. And like, I, so I said, okay, well, I won't work out like the week before the wedding. I totally did. And then I was like, well, I'm going to leave my running shoes at home because I'm not working out there. The hotel I stayed in had a gym. I'm there in my socks at like 5 a.m. Like, like, I got a problem. Like, I need, I'm trying to stop and I'm not trying to stop at the same time. And I was sitting on the side of the building where all the girls were getting their nails done for the wedding. And I was wrestling. I was wrestling so hard with God because I had never told him no before and I didn't want to tell him no, but I didn't know how to say yes. It was very real to me. It was very hard for me. And it wasn't a moment where there was any music. Man, I, I love those moments where God rushes in and it's like the song hits. Your hands go up and you say, you feel the gust of the Holy Spirit to surrender and say yes. And there was not that. I didn't have that. But I told him I wouldn't say no to him. And it was grieving me that I was saying no to him. And so with, this, with nothing beautiful or strong in me, I just said, I surrender. I, I give this to you. And, and again, like, there was no music. There was no confirmation that was the right thing. He heard me. He was going to make it easy on me. Nothing. It was just, okay, let's do it. So I went back from the wedding, and I, I said, I'm going to give this up for 30 days. I'm going to give it up for 30 days. And so I'm doing it. Like in the back of the journal, like I'm writing my journal. I'm love, I love you, God. In the back of the journal is a countdown. When can I start again? When can I start again? And in the middle of it, I have, I have this dream. And this is before I had kids, so I have always loved kids. When I didn't have kids, God used baby dreams to really get my attention because, man, they just they gripped me. So I have this dream, I'm very pregnant, and um, I'm in labor, and there's no one there to help. And so I, I just, I am the only one. I deliver this baby, and the baby is a stillborn. And my heart just sunk, you know, and I wake up. And when you just have such a serious dream that you wake up, and I just felt like, okay, what are you saying? Because I, I need to know what you're saying. Like, that was very intense. And I felt like the, the, whole, the Lord said, if you try to deliver yourself of this, you will kill what I'm doing. And it, and it really just, it was, this, it was this kind, fatherly, authority voice that said, stop. You're not, you haven't surrendered it. You've surrendered it to some level, but you haven't actually fully given me the reins in this area. And, and I, thankfully, there was that moment of like, okay. Yeah, I don't want to waste this. I don't want to waste these days because I, I did want to get back to working out. I don't want to waste this time, but I also don't want to say no to you even a little bit, even like on the outside looking like I'm saying no, but in my heart still, when can I, when can I, when can I? And so I stopped. I stopped my tally marks. I stopped, I stopped all that. And I ended up going more than 30 days. 
um, just because I was, I just really wanted it to not have a hold on me. I just wanted it to not have a hold on me. And I was like, I'll do it when I'm ready and I'll do it when it's a good day. And, um, and I don't know, maybe the 35 day mark, I had a dream that I had like a beautiful, healthy baby boy. And at this time I was like very into mullets and it had this healthy, like brown mullet. And I was like, you're my son. Like, I love it. He had dark hair, so he's not Caleb, but it just felt like this, like, I, not I did it, but we did it, you know? I, I asked for help to surrender, and we did it. Like, we laid it down, and you've, and you have, you've blessed me by knowing that, that, you've, that you birthed something in me that I couldn't have done myself. When I tried doing it myself, it did not go well. But when you did it through me, it brought life, and it has brought life. Um, we're not going to, I'm not going to show this video that was kind of on my heart to do, and it, it, it's, a, it's a really inspirational kind of story of, of this pilot um, that I kind of, if anyone wants it, you can just text me and I'll, I will send you the link to it. But more, more than anything, I, I do want us just to, to walk away knowing that a surrendered life, I, I just think like, man, I, I think of all the times I feel like I'm really stuck or like, man, I, I think of that story even in the Bible of the man who cleans out the room, and then if you don't take care of it, it comes back, you know, the, the demons come back with his friends, and it's like, I thought we, like, cleaned house in this area, and we did, and then I, like, I, I, I got distracted, and then I'm back here with the same issue. And, and one of my favorite things about God is, like, a broken and contrite heart he has yet to deny. He just doesn't. He just doesn't deny you when you're in that state. And I have such confidence standing before him being like, I messed up again, and I don't even know how to get myself back to you. And he's like, oh, we're, that's the first step, is, is you just start talking to me, and you know that I'm not going to deny you there. And there's something about coming back, knowing you're not going to be denied, that gives you that confidence to be like, let's go. I'm yours. You're mine. I give you full reins. You know, and, and you just have that dialogue. I, I think that that is almost, in and of itself, the heart of worship is to say, I'm yours, you're mine, I surrender. You, you get to take the reins, you get to be the Lord. Um, yeah, I, I think one thing that Sam pointed out that was a good point too, is if you're, if you're kind of in that spot and you're like, where do I even start with living a surrendered life? The Lord's Prayer. Um, it, it is, it is a prayer of somebody who's not in control, who's not in charge, or that's where they're, that's where they're reaching for. I'm going to read it in closing, and then I'm going to pray for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom. I'm sorry, I'm not done. For you have, for if you have, oh, this is a different version. But we know it's, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Lord, we do just ask that that would be true of us, Lord. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. We, we ask that your kingdom would come, Lord, in our lives. We ask you for the grace today to surrender in a new way. And if, and if there's no area that you're convicting us of, Lord, we ask you just for the strength to hold fast to the areas that you have called us and that we are walking in, in surrender.
Lord, we, we just say you get, to, you get to call the shots. You're the boss. Even as small as if you tell us, Lord, to, to leave the church and go right and to go to Eminem and bless someone, we say yes to you. And if you say to go left and do our errands, we say yes to you. Lord, we, we say it's your kingdom. And, and we, we are so thankful for this chance that we have, Lord, these few years that we have to give you everything so that we can live with you for eternity, Lord, in your power and in your light and in your freedom. God, I just pray that anything that's of you, Lord, let it bear fruit. And anything that's not of you, let it be forgotten. We thank you, Lord, for the chance that we have to gather together, the freedom that we have in this, in this nation to do it, Lord. And I just pray that I can just see it now, Lord, just all throughout the peninsula, Lord, whether it's today or throughout this week, Lord, these living sacrifices, these fragrances that, that will arise, Lord, from home after home and building after building, business after business of hearts that are surrendered to you, that start off each day just saying, I'm a living sacrifice. I'm yours, Lord, and that you would just rush in with your pleasure and your approval, that we would just feel you. We would feel you day after day, and that even when we don't feel you, Lord, we, we just ask you for that grace and that strength to say yes. Amen. Amen. I forgot to read Hebrews, but it's really good. Hebrews 11 through 12, I mean, it's so good, so go home and read it then.